Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great pleasure to welcome Dr. Paul White, author of Rising Above the Toxic Workplace. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. I, I'd love if you would first, before we talk about toxic workplaces and the strategies to deal with them, if you would tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Uh, well, as people probably can tell from my accent, I'm from the, the U.S. and I'm from the Midwest part. and uh, I'm a psychologist by training, and one of the things I've done for the last oh, 15 or 20 years is consult with family-owned businesses here in the States, dealing with the family and relational issues that are intertwined with both working together and then passing it across generations, because that's a major challenge here. And uh, through that, I was uh, introduced and sought out uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, who's the author of a pretty famous book. It's called The Five Love Languages. It sold like 13 million copies. And he and I worked together to apply the concepts to work-based relationships and, and wrote uh, co-authored a book called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace and uh, have an online assessment that goes with it and training stuff. And uh, I go around and speak and work with uh, organizational leaders. And when I was doing that, uh, people at breaks and afterwards would come up and tell me sort of negative stories about their workplace or what a jerk their boss was. And it, you know, that happens, but it just kept coming at me. And I'm like, wow, this, this is pretty intense. So we have a, a pretty big list on our newsletter. And so we send out questions and ask people to share stories. And we were just overwhelmed with hundreds and hundreds of stories. And so wound up following up with them and interviewing people and doing some research. And that's how we came up with the book. And, you know, I didn't want to just describe a toxic workplace. I mean, that's okay, but it's like, how do you survive this or how do you get past it? And that was really our goal. I'm not about trying to make people victims. I mean, there are bad things that happen for sure, but we got to figure out how to get past it. And so that was the goal. Yeah, and, and, and that's what really struck me, Paul, actually, was you and your team as well. Like It, it comes across that you really want people to, to deal with this in a positive way and come out of it. And, and you call it lots of strategies, but also you know, deciding when it's time to walk away, et cetera. Before we even get into that, it'd be great to talk about you know, some of the examples, because people, we can talk about toxic workplaces, but it's the stories I felt that really get across, is this you? It was almost kind of, they were like case studies in themselves. And if you would right. give us a couple of examples, that'd be great, Paul. Sure. Well, one of the things, and, and, and Aiden, what's interesting to me, at least, is that when you write a book, it's a time-limited kind of thing. I mean, you got a deadline, you got to get done. Well, you keep learning after that. And so we kept learning, and we actually developed a training program uh, to deal with, well, both to avoid becoming a toxic workplace and to deal with it. And in that process, we found that there are really three main components of a, a toxic workplace. One is most toxic workplaces have sick systems, meaning that the structure in the organization isn't set up correctly for good communication, for healthy decision-making processes, for holding people accountable for their jobs and versus them sort of skating and, and getting by and and being able to blame or make excuses. And so here in the States, that uh, there are some places that sort of uh, repeat that pattern, unfortunately. I mean, university and college settings, are you got sort of multiple uh, reporting relationships, hospitals, uh, government agencies, uh, public schools, long-term care facilities for uh, older adults. And so, you know, 
if if you don't have good communication, not much good happens after that. So you've got to get that going. And then secondly, we found that most places that were pretty toxic had uh, toxic leaders. And um, we can talk about it and unpack that. But basically, they're people – and then these are not incompetent people. Uh, that's different. Somebody who's you know new or doesn't really know what they're doing. These people are evil. <laughs> I mean, they are they are bad news, and uh, they only are, care about themselves. I mean, that's the one way to say about it. they use everybody else in every situation for their benefit, and they're pretty good at it actually, lots of times. Um, and then the third component are dysfunctional colleagues. And you know, I'm a psychologist, and we label people and diagnose people, and I I, I sort of react to that sometimes, but dysfunctional truly is descriptive. DYS means problem. Functional means, you know, can you function in daily life? And these people just have a way about thinking about and going about life that just doesn't work, um, um, that they sort of don't match reality as far as accepting responsibility for your choices, uh, learning from mistakes. Uh, you know, they're great at blaming people and making excuses and setting up other people having conflicts and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, those are huge. And I, I guess I say that because the first story that comes to mind is I was part of a, actually a, a, over here, a nonprofit organization uh, to serve people. And the leader just was a piece of work, man. I mean, he was very talented, very verbal, very social, very engaging. Um, and he sort of hoodwinked you. I don't know if you know that term, but he sort of like yeah. scammed you when you didn't know it. And uh, he makes you, you know, if you believe him, he makes you feel like you're important, but he does it to everybody and he doesn't have a relationship. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was an image. And that's one of the deal about sort of toxic leaders. They are really focused on what looks good and looks right. It's not about doing right. It's not about being right. It's about making things look good. Um, and most of their energy goes into that. And so, uh, you know, and they... You know, one of the interesting things uh, we found is that toxic leaders have some strengths. I mean, they look good initially. Otherwise, they wouldn't get the job, right? I mean, unless they get it from their parent as a, in a family. But generally, they come across pretty good. And it takes a while to sort of get underneath what's going on and see their game. And and then you can see, man, this is not going well. And they sort of take uh, – they either take down people with them or sometimes even the organization because – they're not really living according to reality that, you know, you got to make more money than you spend uh, and all that kind of stuff. I found it really interesting that you talked about their values and their outwardly mission, for example, and say one thing and then, you know, backstage in the workplace, totally different oh, yeah. uh, practices are at play. Absolutely. Yeah. These people, it's all about the image and looking good and you better not make them look bad in public or you are going down. Uh, I mean, that's just one thing you don't do, but yeah, they'll, they'll be all kind and sweet and all that, uh, you know, out in public, but then they, they will tear people up. They're very condescending and critical. Uh, you know, as a psychologist, I'm a little bit leery of overusing diagnostic terms, but in our culture and in the world, they, people are using the word narcissism a lot. Um, and, and from a psychological point of view, a narcissistic personality disorder is a very specific thing. But essentially, it comes from a, a, a Greek god, a myth about a god who basically spent all day looking at himself in the mirror and just wanted people to compliment him. And that's what these people are about. They are all about themselves. Other people are there to be used for their benefit. People are essentially resources. 
for these uh, individuals. And just like, you know, a computer or, you know, cash or whatever. And so they don't really care about other people except as how to help them achieve their goals. Um, and they will take credit for anything good that happens, whether they were involved or not. And the better ones are sort of like Teflon. I mean, things don't stick to them, um, sure. or bad things, uh, and they can pass it off. And, and they're very good. You have to be careful if you work for these people. They will attach bad things to you so that you go down versus them. I mean, loyalty, the only person they're loyal to is themselves. They're not loyal to the organization. They're, they'll leave the organization in a heartbeat if there's a better uh, you know, opportunity for them. And in fact, yeah. these people are pretty good at jumping organizations fairly quickly before things are going to get exposed. Um, and then they move on. Yeah, like when you describe them in the book as well, I, this image of a locust came to, head, to my head where they're just mm. going around and using up both people and resources <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just making themselves look great like and then leaving a mess behind. And Absolutely. then the people who are left to clean up the mess are broken by their, by their yes. I'm doing air quotes here, leadership <laughs> um, term. Yeah. But I, I love, I, I'm delighted you mentioned narcissism because well, I've heard the term lots of times, and and it's it's not something that people really delve into, uh, unless they're in your field. But when when you described it in so many times uh, as a toxic leader, this is, and then you described a narcissist, it made total sense because you can actually identify the characteristics of a narcissist. W- would you mind going into that a little bit more? Because people will identify, I suppose, some of the traits of a narcissist. Sure, sure. You know. A narcissist is somebody that is focused on themselves. Now, they will take um, an organization and they will adopt an organization's goals, but their goals really are the goals for themselves. And if the organization can help them get there, that's they're sort of using the, the organization as a train to get to the next station. Um, and so they're always going to, you know, the conversations are going to be about them. They're going to want to lead the meetings um, and, you know, heaven help the person that tries to uh, you know, t- take over a meeting from them because they will just absolutely tear you up and rip you up in front of other people um, and have no compunction about it at all. I mean, it's like, you know, do not challenge me. You do and you will die. I mean, figuratively, obviously, but, um, and, and also, I mean, they're egocentric. They're they are I centered, and they basically believe they are the best at what they do in the world. They are the smartest person in the room, if not the hemisphere. Uh, they know better than anybody else what to do. And anybody that gives an opposing option in public, at least, will uh, you know be poo-pooed. Now that person, the, the leader may actually adopt the suggestion later, but it, he or she will make it look like their own. Um, and in fact, they are great at taking other people's ideas and, and taking credit for it and, you know, spinning it and, and keep going. So they're condescending and critical. They expect you to meet their needs. You are there for them. Um, and so, um, and anything bad that happens really is somebody else's mistake or just that they were stupid, that they didn't think about it. Um, and so, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> it's, uh, I hope you get the flavor of it. I mean, you know, and they can be <laughs> nice too. I mean, uh, <laughs> they can be nice on the surface, but, uh, you know, behind the scenes, 
uh, it's sort of like one of the alien movies or whatever that comes out. You know, it's just pretty nice. <laughs> I, I think it'd be, it'd be great to explain as well because this really made sense to me. Is so they can make you feel important, but then also take away your power. Now I know mm. we'll, mm. we'll talk about you know some of the solutions and strategies to deal with it in a few minutes, but I thought this was really interesting that they can make people feel that they're lucky to have a role or they're lucky to be part of this great vision and they'll chip away. It's, it's almost like a, 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 a kind of perverted skill that they have. And it'd be great to tell yeah. the audience a bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, again, they're master manipulators and they manipulate both information. So they withhold information, they control information so that they can release it when they want to whom they want, including the media. Um, and they also manipulate people. And so they're good at making you, uh, you know, feel good about, Hey, you did this well. And, and they'll even praise you in front of somebody else. As long as they're initiating it, it's okay. But it's because they're sort of, it's like a chess game, right? They're sort of making a move here and putting the, you know, the Bishop out there. And, um, and yet, They've got to be in control, and uh, when they don't feel in control, that's that's when they're dangerous. And you have to understand that even though in some ways you feel might feel sort of part of the team or whatever, you are always at risk because they have no loyalty to you. They don't care about you except as far as you helping them achieve their goals. And so you are anyone is always expendable around them. And they're pretty good at setting up situations that other people will take the fall or can go down if you're not doing what they want. Gotcha. And, and do you know, do you know I, I suppose I probably should have started off the show giving a bit of context of this because I read the book and I thought it was so key for our audience. So our audience are a lot of, kind of mavericks or change makers, uh, entrepreneurs, but also people who work in startups. And I felt, you know, the, the profile of a narcissist or even a toxic workplace can happen at a small level. So it's a small, Absolutely. you know, uh, startup type environment and that people may have skin in the game and that they, they're locked in with some stock or something like that. So they kind of feel a little bit like they're, they've golden handcuffs on. And yeah. it'd be great to, to give a bit of context on that from, from your experience of those type of organizations. Yeah, you know... Uh, it, I'm I'm 60. I turned 60 this fall, and I've done different things in my career and worked in different kinds of professional strategic partnerships and all that. And one of the things that I've learned is because uh, I've worked with you know high-level uh, financial advisors with you know billionaires and all that kind of stuff. It, and a lot of people, you know, you see the elephant, right? I mean, you want to take out the big game and you go for it <laughs> versus sort of checking out to see if this person no you know has any kind of history it's better to walk with people a little ways at least 6 months or so often can tell you some stuff versus just throwing in all at once uh so i mean you know sometimes it's too late in the game but if you're looking at getting into a partnership or whatever walk alongside with a person in in a more limited uh capacity or relationship first Sort of see how they deal with things and all that, and then move on. Because here's what you got to do if you work for a narcissist. First of all, you have to do your job. Because uh, if you don't, you know they'll call you out and take you down. So you've got to focus on your job, not what they're doing, and and all the shenanigans you see around in the background. Because if you don't, 
you'll be blamed and you'll take the fall. Secondly, what you have to do is you got to understand these people are out for themselves. So if you've got to document conversations, you got to document decisions made. And so an easy, relatively easy way to do that is, let's say you have a meeting and you you send them a follow-up email and say, you know, from our conversation, this is what I understand what you want me to do, blah, 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 blah. And then if that's not the case, please inform me. Because that way, it's the onus is on them to correct your understanding or misunderstanding. Otherwise, you know, it's you're doing what, you know, you understood you're supposed to do. And if it's in important meetings, you got to have somebody else there. I mean, uh, especially, I mean, uh, as much as you can, um, uh, because it's always going to be his word versus or his or her word versus yours. And you're not going to, you know, sort of uh, be at the same level of uh, public adulation that they are and people are going to believe them. And then the last thing, you just you have to be defended. You have to take care of yourself. You have to play defense because um, you got to set limits on what you're willing and not willing to do. They will use you up and throw you away in a heartbeat. Um, and you go down and your family goes down and everything you've earned goes down. So you've always got to have a defensive posture uh, somewhere in the game. Otherwise, um, you're really at risk. Um, and, you know, there are good-hearted people out there, you know, I've worked in mental health uh, things for a long time, and we want people to change. Do not expect these people to change. <laughs> they may, if it's going to take an act of God, literally, but, uh, you know, don't expect them to change. Don't expect them to honestly praise you, and clearly don't take their criticism personally, because you are just one of many targets. It's not about you. It's about them and their goal, and you just happen to be in the way. So you're going to take the bullet uh, just because you're there. But it's not that you're a bad person or incompetent. They're just using it to uh, get what they want. So say let's look for prevention rather than cure. So say yep. a kid or you know, somebody, a college graduate's gone into a role or there's a startup and it's really, you know, because from what you said about narcissists, they have great energy and they sell the vision really well. And it's not yep. until, you know, a little bit later that you discover, uh-oh, what have I done here? And how can somebody yeah. prevent that? What are the telltale signs that they can look out for? <laughs> man, I wish I I wish I do. I'd sell a billion books on that, man. But <laughs> if I... If I Let's if go if author I, that one, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. go author that well, one. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's, it's less about the narcissist and more about having good decision-making skills. And... If, for any of us, regardless of how old or young, experienced or inexperienced we are, go slow, keep your eyes open, get input from other people. Don't think you know everything. I mean, one, I have the opportunity to work with very successful uh, business people and uh, sort of take their life history and find out what makes them successful. And one of the key aspects is that the people that are successful have a learning attitude. Uh, and that you're willing to learn and listen, and you have maybe a mentor or at least a sounding board of saying, you know, this is going on. Tell me sort of what's, what do you think about this? It seems a little gray to me. I'm not sure because little gray turns into a lot of gray, and then it turns into oh, you're over the line. Um, and so it's more about having sort of checkpoints about not throwing all in all at once, even though it's the greatest deal that ever happened on the face of the earth. Um, and if it is, you know, uh, you know, sign, you know, I'll have something you can sign to give me all your money as well. I mean, it's, 
you know, you just got to have some wisdom in it. Um, but the other thing is pay attention to early warning signs. I mean, lots of times we want to believe that they're good and that we're not seeing the right thing, but pay attention to, and maybe even keep a list somewhere of this doesn't sort of match, you know, they said this and then they did this and not exactly, you know, what they said. I, I mean, I was in a situation once where this guy, I was part of a team and he, boy, he was a salesman and he made a promise to a big organization that I knew we could, we had not done and we could not do. And I'm like, I don't want to be part of this. Um, so does that make sense? I mean, you sort of, yeah, you, you got to pay attention to the early warning signs and don't just totally dismiss them because you, you think this guy's or gal's, you know, golden. Yeah, yeah. And and, the, and then I suppose what happens as well, and you talked about this, is like the fur-lined mousetrap of how do I get out here? I'm after, you know, moving career here and mm-hmm. I have my mortgage to pay. I, I don't have the support of my spouse to move roles or I don't have the ability. I'm a single mom or father and I can't do this or else how does this look on my CV? And and it's those kind of things that trap people a little bit, right? Yeah. And I, I got some great advice from a, a, a business associate once. And he said, try to always, you know, you, uh, there's a great book called Margin, um, uh, Dr. Richard Swinson. And he just talks about how we don't leave margin in our lives, whether it's time or money or energy. And, you know, things don't always go right. You got to be able to, you know, sort of, deal with a problem, whether it's your car goes down or whatever it is. Um, and that he said, try not to get in a situation where you're at risk for being desperate because when you're desperate, you make bad decisions. So it's, it's sort of, again, sort of walking wisely over time and taking steps um, that, and in this situation, sometimes you gotta, you gotta take a loss to get out of going bankrupt, right? I mean, it's better to yeah. lose 10,000 pounds than, you know, 500,000 and the whole deal. And and in some ways, it, it doesn't matter what people think or what it looks like because staying true to who you are and what is right and, and good over time will win out, um, especially yeah. in, in, in the court of public opinion. If you're always trying to make decisions to look good, you're screwed, to be honest, because, you know, public opinion changes. And so mm-hmm. now you went down this road and you're trying to look good versus doing the right thing, serving people, providing good services, good quality products at a fair and reasonable price, treating your employees well. That'll get you someplace. It won't get you rich all of a sudden, but it'll be a good life over a long period of time. Yeah, and I guess it, it depends on what your definition of wealth is as well. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Before we look, before we look at some of the strategies, the survival strategies, and, and what steps you, you, we should look at, it'd be great to talk about different. So, so I suppose there we kind of talk about um, big corporates, for example, or small entrepreneurial uh, startups. But the other one then you talk a lot about is kind of public bodies of civil service operations, including mm-hmm. education and religious services, etc., or, or public. Um, public funded companies that they often have a massive amount of bureaucracy and from you know a lot of our audience would be entrepreneurs or people change makers within those organizations and they are often mired by 
the bureaucracy, the politics, the Machiavellian tactics that mm-hmm. go on. What advice do you have for those type of people? Oh wow, that's it's God bless them. <laughs> because <laughs> I've been I've been there. It's a tough road, but you know, I guess one thing is you have to be, especially in whether it's a very mission-driven organization, whether that's a you know a not-for-profit that's you know about the environment or helping the poor, if it's a religious thing or education, you've got to be careful that the mission-driven organizations will sort of use that as a trump card uh, that, you know, well, that they keep asking more and more, you know, and it's like, you know, aren't you committed to the, don't you want to see this happen? Meanwhile, you're just, you're working your buns off and dying and you don't see your family. And, uh, and again, not intentionally, but these places will sort of use you up and then you maybe leave on your own because you're just, you know, you're a rag now. And then they bring somebody else in and it's just a turnstile and you just keep going in. And so you've got to set some limits and yeah, there's a mission, but you're a limited person. You have only so much time, energy and other resources and you got to prioritize that. And it's not all about, from my point of view, at least, I mean, making the world better. If, if I die as a person, whether that's physically or internally or if i don't you know can't maintain a healthy family uh and friends so that's one you got to be careful about sort of getting sucked into the mission and and letting it you know suck you dry that way the other thing is you got to look at really realistic goals of what you can and can't change and what you're willing to do that because it's it's pretty rare i mean it happens but to be able to sort of find this unique perfect storm of circumstances and economics and so forth and personality and changes in leadership to make a a huge transformation in a big organization, more likely you're able to, you know, sort of transform a part. And as that works, it then touches other parts that it can transform as well. And so I think a key for entrepreneurs is you've got to have some colleagues. You cannot do it on your own. You will, you will, or just crash and burn. I think uh, my my experience is that you've got to find people that are like minded, that you share the same values and potentially the same goals, and you just sort of work the plan where you are, and slowly, and may, sometimes maybe more quickly, but watch it grow. But you've got to have a, a, a team of of buddies uh, and 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 gals with you that. Um, share the load because you get worn out, you get discouraged, and then somebody else, you know, picks it up for a while, and then it's a bit of a tag team, and then it's your turn. So. Yeah, yeah, and it it kind of reminds me of, you know, those electric cars when you go in and you, you plug in for a while, and it's, it's almost that group is your energy plug, and you you kind yeah. of share off each other's energy, <laughs> and as you say, somebody else goes in and gets worn down for a while and takes one for the team. Yeah, exactly. And, okay, so so the, the other one I thought was really interesting was if you kind of go down the layer now and you talk about the Peter Principle, for example, somebody who's a brilliant salesperson all of a sudden gets put as the MD or the business unit leader, and they're mm-hmm. not exactly, just because they're good at their job does not mean they're a leader. Right, right. And, you know, and the other part to go back about toxic leaders, tox, toxic leaders are not always at the top of the organization. Lots of times, Top leaders are really quite good and healthy, 
but you've got these toxic people, you know, and maybe they're a vice president or a manager or a division manager or something. And, you know, their, their unit is just, you know, not going well. So I just want to clarify that, you know, it doesn't have to be at the top of the organization, but yeah, the other thing is, uh, and again, I think this has to do with sort of sick systems is, um, having a good process for giving people additional responsibility. I mean, essentially a promotion is giving person, uh, more responsibility with more resources, but you're holding them accountable for those. And so a, a healthy system will help a person work up and demonstrate uh, wise leadership and decision-making and, and team uh, work. Uh, and if it doesn't work, they don't get promoted further in, in a, and they may even lose it, you know, uh, versus I tell you, the healthiest organizations that I've seen, especially the healthy big ones, is that they don't hire outside leadership very often uh, until maybe late in the game after they are a very mature, established company that they train people up and let people demonstrate and they reward responsibility with additional privileges and, you know, benefits and so forth uh, versus hiring some, you know, star gun, you know, uh, that comes out. And you're supposed to do everything right. That just seems really risky to me from a values point of view of, uh, and even cultural point of view from having somebody match your company's values and culture, even though they may be a great technician. In fact, I don't, I don't remember. I've written a couple of books, Toxic Achievers. I don't know if we talked about those. Uh, Toxic Achievers are a fascinating group because they are like the bright stars professionally. They are the best salesperson or technician or what they do. But they kill everybody else around them while they're doing it. They're just poison. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, in, in our, where I grew up, there's black walnut trees. And they go really big and they can throw off a whole bunch of walnuts. But they, uh, their roots put off a toxin that nothing else can grow around them. And so you can either choose to have a whole bunch of walnuts and nothing else, or you can not have walnuts and have other things. And that's sort of what a toxic achiever is like. They'll, They'll produce, man. They can sell more than anybody else, but they also want uh, more benefits than what the contract pays for. They want other people to do their paperwork for them. They uh, want special, you know, accommodations or, you know, uh, side deals that nobody else gets. But because they're the, the star, they think they should get it. And boy, talk about creating a toxic environment. It's all kinds of resentment and. Just bad things happen when those people are around. Uh, are they narcissists, those people? So say, for example, you have the narcissist at the top who's the, the leader, who very clearly matches all those characteristics you spelled out. But then the black walnut uh, character, they they might not be so overt in their narcissism. Is right. it narcissism or is it just pure selfishness? <laughs> I think it's more selfishness. I mean, it's just... And they're cocky, you know, they're good and they know they're good and they've somehow gotten either by accident sometimes well, and sometimes a plan, they've gotten themselves into a position where the company really would have a hard time. It would be hurtful to the company to function without them, at least for a while, whether because of a skill and knowledge base or relationships or whatever. And so they sort of have a power position um, and, you know, the leaders, the the, the organizational leaders may be afraid, well, we can't lose this salesperson because 
you know, they, they're the people connected with, you know, our major customer or whatever. But uh, I've seen time and time, if you don't get rid of them, you will never have a healthy organization because they will yeah. always, they're going to have a, a, a revolving door around them as far as assistants and other people they work with on their team. And often when you get rid of them, you find out that the customer was uncomfortable with them too. But, wow. you know, he, he or she was there with you uh, and they didn't, you know, want to go around them. So uh, my proposition is you, you got to get rid of them. And, and it can be costly for a while. You got to, you got to count the cost and figure out how you're going to get through the storm. But then you can rebuild and, and create some uh, healthy environment there. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like they they haven't let other people flourish as well. So we take the idea of the black walnut; they haven't let some right. other saplings come in around them. They keep stamping them out, so they are the kingpin, and they're kept yeah, on that pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really? Okay. So and and then I suppose then there's your reaction. So this is all the stuff that's happening, and then right. I thought this was interesting because because I've actually been here, and I don't mind admitting this, where you get in a bad place, uh, you know, in sport, for example, when you get injured, you kind of get into this bad mindset of, right. you know, complaining, not not being picked or whatever. And I felt, you know, you talk about poisoning the well, and often you get toxic cliques around an organization and people kind of mm-hmm. just, you're scared clear of them. Don't look at them, <laughs> don't let them see them. <laughs> and right. in a way, though, you got to look, when you're pointing the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. you got to go, am I actually contributing towards the well of poison. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and it's easy to get drawn in, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, we've all been there, right. Where it's sort of like, this is not really healthy, but you sort of think it's funny. And so you go along with the joke that's off color or whatever. Um, you've got to, I, I think one of the first places to start is to not contribute to the negative. Right. I mean, and we always have to look at what we have to do. I mean, it's like, yeah, they did this, but I got a choice now. I can either go off. I can, you know, there's all kinds of extremes I could go or I could just sort of wait. I can, you know, try to go someplace else, whatever. You've always got a choice. Uh, And so one choice is not to contribute to the negative. So if that means not saying anything, not reacting, then that's what it is. Uh, sometimes, you know, you go into a workplace and people are, you know, criticizing or, you know, cutting things down and just, and you say, well, yeah, that may be true, but here's another perspective. I mean, you know, they did do this and you try to, you know, turn it to the positive. Um, I think the, the, the big issue, a big issue, not necessarily the big issue, but a big issue in dealing in toxic workplaces is. You get overwhelmed and you just want to give up and you just get passive and you just sort of shrivel up and die, right? And I, I think you have to start somewhere. Uh, it's just do something somewhere with somebody, you know, whether that's, say, a positive thing. And this is sort of, you know, our appreciation at work kinds of stuff. By the way, our, our website, if people are interested, we've got different kinds of things. It's appreciation at work and it's the word at dot com. And we have toxic stuff and, and uh, positive things as well. but you start with uh, what you can do and and just sort of faithfully do that. And if you can turn it to a positive, even if it's just like they're talking about how nasty this person was, you say, hey, Jenny, anybody watch, you know, whatever, whatever uh, rugby team you root for? 
you know, and see what a great game they had, you know, and you just try to get it positive. Uh, that's helpful as well. Um, okay. Because po- positivity really throws water sort of on the fire of negativity and it, it just sort of douses it. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to go away, but it, it at least sort of puts a stop to it and sort of gets people out of a fog. So the positivity starts with you. It's your it's your reaction. You decide that. Yeah. And, I, and I, I really took that out of the book that you can't control them, but you can control you and can control your reactions. And you talk about some of the strategies to deal with it. So, for example, things like mindfulness and self-talk, your own self-talk mm-hmm. needs to change. Could we mm-hmm. talk about those things for a moment? Yeah, and uh, I'm just reminded, you know, John Maxwell, who's sort of a big leadership guru in the States, at least, yeah. you know, I said, you know, life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Bad things happen to us. And most people either do or have worked in a pretty nasty workplace. It's sort of what you do with it. I mean, you can learn with it. Now, yeah, you've got to focus on what is good in your life. Like I, I you know, do trainings and speeches and so forth. And I often start out and say, hey, let's remember why it's a good day. First of all, we all woke up. Okay. We're alive. Okay. Secondly, in the settings where I speak, we had fresh running water. It was safe to drink. It was hot. We had food. We weren't dodging mortars or bullets to get here. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of email and traffic sucked, but hey, life is good. You know, and in the big picture, we have sight. Most of us, you know, we have hearing. We have all kinds of blessings that we can lose sight of if we just focus on all the little things. And at some point, you have to say, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to make the best of it. Now, at some point, I have to decide whether or not I want to stay here. Because if you think about a toxic environment literally being that it's damaging to you, I mean, it's unhealthy. Uh, I think that's true too. Um, and there are some places where you just don't want to stay there too long. If you, if you, and sometimes it takes some longer term planning to get out of that. Yeah, and you were saying this so that if you if you stay too long, you can actually damage your career prospects as well. It's, it's not only that you may be institutionalized, for example, in a civil service <laughs> company, or but but beyond that, you your self confidence and it takes a while to heal from from the experience you've been through. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I talk to people about when they're in a, a, a difficult, if not negative, toxic workplace is, okay, how are you doing as a person? I mean, are you, and it just says health. I mean, are you sleeping okay? When we don't sleep, bad things happen. I mean, there are all kinds of bad, you know, and if you're worrying about stuff or you're uptight and you can't sleep, that's not good. And if you're not exercising and, you know, sort of, uh, keeping healthy and now you've got some health problems and your back's bothering you and you're stressed out and you're taking medications just to sort of get through the day, that's not good. Um, and, and then if you get feedback from your family or friends and say, you know, are you okay? Because you're just sort of grumpy or, uh, you know, irritable or you're withdrawing from people. I mean, if your relationships aren't healthy, you got it starts to take a toll on you. And at some point you got to say, you know, is this how I want to live the next five or 10 years of my life or whatever it is? Um, and and then you got to figure out, okay, what are some action steps I can take to start to explore opportunities? Um, and lots of times we're not going to move to the, you know, the Tahiti Islands where it's just wonderful, but you at least get in a less damaging place. Lots of times it's stepping stones, right? 
and you, you maybe get to a different department where this you don't have this nasty leader or you get away from this really toxic worker coworker and then you figure out a, a way to get out of the organization or whatever but uh, jumping out sort of just to you know all at once is usually not a good idea unless you got some kind of backup plan the book is rising above a toxic workplace the website is www.appreciationatwork.com forward slash toxic workplaces. And you give a full plethora of tools and articles and videos there for people who may be suffering from this. Because the the big thing I felt, Paul, when I read it was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, I, I've heard stories, you know, experienced bits and yeah. pieces myself. And you're kind of going, I just I, I have to share this story because there there are strategies we can take to to get ourselves out of it and it's not worth it the the big thing when you look at why you do this you do this for your family to put you know give your kids a good life your right. your wife have a good life with her or, or your partner whatever and you're kind of going it's not worth damaging my health or being cranky with the people i love most to make money <laughs> yeah. to be with the people right. i want to be with most <laughs> you know that kind of way yeah like uh exactly sanity loop yeah, but yeah. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Paul. I appreciate your time. Thanks. It's been it's it's been good, and and uh, yeah, just to give people hope, uh, you know, you can you can take care of yourself, and and sometimes things, if you you know take some initial steps, things get better, and the bad people leave. I mean that happens too, but you don't want to wait too long where you're going down the trail. But uh, you can make your life better. Um, and part of it is keeping a positive attitude and being around positive people, keeping and and reading and listening to stuff that, that helps you grow. Brilliant. Dr. Paul White, thanks for joining us. You bet. 